Acts chapter 20, verse 25 to 37. We're back in the book of Acts. Paul is wrapping up his third missionary journey. And he's making his way back to Jerusalem to give the gift from the non-Jewish churches to the suffering church there. He's not going to do anything else. That's what he's doing. He's determined. And one of these Gentile churches that he and Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos founded was the church of Ephesus. And he spent three years there on this last trip ministering to them, preaching, teaching, discipling, raising up leaders. And now he's not going to see them any longer. As we read in verse 25, he's gathered the elders together of the church. He's not talking to the entire church. He's basically got the elders and maybe their families together. And he's saying, this is, this is what I want you to know. I'm not going to see anymore. I don't have Facebook or whatever it is. I, we're not going to be communicating And so here it is. He says in verse 25, says, I know that none among you whom I have gone about preaching the king will ever see me again. And so up until that verse, he's been laying out how he's lived among them, his ministry. And we talked about those four areas of ministry that that happened uh, towards God. He was a servant towards the church. He edified it through teaching and preaching and towards the world. He preached the gospel of repentance and faith. And obviously there's that inner ministry of sacrifice for which none of this can happen unless we choose to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Jesus. He says, that's how I lived when I was among you. That was my lifestyle. That's how I was directing my energy and my time as an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's how I was called. And considered his life worth nothing to himself. He says, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Single-minded, focused on the will of God. I love that about Paul. Don't you love that about him? He's reading, man, look at this guy. Of course, he had to suffer a lot. But it was important for Paul to remind them of how he, how he lived, not just to toot his own horn. Don't you remember how I lived among you, how awesome I was? Thank you very much. I'll see you later. <clears throat> Why did he say that? Because he's talking to a group of elders and he says, as I lived, as I taught, you live, you teach. And he's saying, I'm passing it to you. It is your responsibility now. It's a heavy responsibility. It's a holy responsibility. It's weighty. So Paul lived what he taught, and he taught what he lived, and he was faithful to complete that ministry that God gave him towards those believers in Ephesus. And he says, as he's getting ready to leave them for the last time, verse 26, Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. You know, I was thinking of how focused and devoted Paul was to the Lord and to the Lord's call upon his life. To be able to say just that I am innocent of your blood. I've done what God's called me to do. I've declared the whole will of God to you. I mean, that was a work of grace in God's life and in Paul's life, right? He said, I worked harder than all the other apostles, not I, but the grace of God within me. Man, he had a deep sense of God's grace upon his life, that what he, she, he definitely deserved and what God called him to. 
those, that's just a testimony of the goodness of God. And it compelled him day after day to not squander that opportunity. And he obeyed the Lord fully. You know, when we're younger, I don't think we, we really... <clears throat> I know you're looking at me going, I'm younger. But when we're younger, we do not necessarily understand the brevity of life. We don't. You know, uh, we're so easily moved in so many directions as everything is new and interesting. You know? I was talking with John about music, and, you know, when you're younger, you like the distortion pedal. And it's just... And, you know, that can only last so long. <clears throat> like this morning, you know? And I was like, and, and, and so you grab a big sky pedal or a Timmy pedal or an EQ pedal and you're just starting to expand because you're growing. And we find that in life. But we can get moved in so many directions. And I found in my own life as a young man that I was very tossed and turned by the winds of life here and there. And there was a real lack of focus. Uh, you know, any, any of you experienced that maybe when you were younger? Some of you had parents and you were directed and you knew what you're supposed to be, and that's a blessing. But for a lot of us, I think increasingly so in the generations to come, we have no idea who we are, no idea where we're going, what we're about, and we're just led by our own desires, whatever those are. And those are anything and everything you want these days. There's access, you know? <clears throat> and, but as you get older... Uh, I think we begin to realize, I think if, if people are kind of contemplating and have a sense within their lives, because I think this is God-given, that there's a, there's a real lack of focus and there's a real desire for purpose and meaning and some call it legacy, whatever you want. There's, what am I here for? What am I supposed to do? And I think this is where midlife crisis pops in when we actually realize I don't know who I am and I've kind of wasted in the pursuits. The distortion pedal doesn't work for me anymore, all that kind of stuff, right? And I think that's a God thing within us. That that desire, who we've been made to be, how we're to be used, can only be met when we're swept in up in the purposes and the plan of God. That's what truly satisfies the human soul. Because that's what God created us for. Not our own kingdom, but his. And how that looks is, is beautiful. Just as many as there are different faces and fingerprints in this room, uh, is God's expression of that. But all coming together and saying, I am this for the glory of God and I will live my life that way because the Lord has spoken to me. I know who I am. I know what he says. I know what he's called me to do. And I'm going to spend the rest of my days doing it. And everything that does not fit into that box has got to be really prayerfully considered. Amen? And so uh, you, you find it people get older and they start to do different things and they start to try to satisfy this desire in their life. People start sleeping around, cheating on their wives, thinking that's going to satisfy it, right? They go off different business adventures and start spending a bunch of money and go on vacation. Not, not that uh, those, those last things are bad, uh, but it's just, there's an emptiness. It just isn't, God has to fill that. God wants to fill that. He wants it to where we're at the end of our lives. We said, I've done what we've, he's called me to do. I finished it. I don't know. Am I just speaking to myself here? I think, I think this is truly, you know, what's, what goes on in the heart of some people. And Paul knew who he was. 
He knew what he was, he was to do and where he was to do it. And he could say things like in verse 26, I declare to you today, I'm innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated. I have not withdrawn to proclaim to you the whole will of God. I've done what God's called me to do. I didn't withdraw. I did it completely. And writing to Timothy from a pit in the ground, not from a giant motor home taking a tour of, you know, the, the Middle East in his latter years. No, from a pit in the ground, he's writing to Timothy, waiting to die. And we told you about this pit in the ground they had where they put the prisoners. They're sitting there in this pit, and it, it was basically the septic system of the city, and they would open the gate, and basically the prisoner, it, and the stuff would come in, and they would drown in it, and then they'd oh, then open up another gate, and it empty, and and that's just how you're just waiting in that stuff. And he's writing to Timothy. And he says, as he's about to probably check out here soon, he says in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 through 8, he says, For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. And what does he say about his life as he's looking back? He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And if you know Paul, Paul's not boasting himself. He's boasting of what God has done in and through him. But there is a component of the human will that has to say, I will follow. Amen? As we read, we saw in that video last week, God has chosen not to work apart from us choosing to engage in his work. I love that. I mean, through the church. He says, now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. He said, my life is poured out for the Lord. I, I fought, I finished, I kept the faith. Now it's waiting for the reward. He had time left over. <laughs> How'd you like to say that? Before you die, you're like, man, I've done what God's called me to do. Now I have some time. <laughs> I mean, it's just reality. He's saying, I've, I've done it finished well. He did it bit by bit as the Lord gave him individual tasks to do. We see that in Ephesus here. He wasn't finished with his race at that point, but he was finished with Ephesus. And he said, I did it. What has God given you to complete wholeheartedly in this season of your life? You might have riots. You might have people that don't like you might have some lessons to learn. But Paul, in Acts 20, says to this group, he says, I've completed all that's given to, to do. I'm innocent of your blood. And Paul took his, his ministry serious. How many of you take the things that God has called you to do seriously? He says, I'm innocent of your blood. He's, he's probably quoting Ezekiel chapter 3. Where Ezekiel, it says to Ezekiel in chapter 3, when I say to a wicked person, you will surely die, and you don't warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. How do you like those verses? If that's ever a motivation, some of us, you know, are, like to be encouraged. Um, Ezekiel obviously needs some fear. 
the fear of God rather than the fear of man. He's saying, I'm going to ask you to do some pretty darn difficult things, and you're not going to want to do it. You're going to want to, I'm going to ask, I'm going to take you into a culture that's going to reject my message. I'm going to have you say that message to them. They're not going to like you. Actually, they're going to probably kill you is what's going on. But if you don't do it, you're guilty of what, of them. And that's what Paul is relaying. He says, that's the life of an elder. That's the life of a pastor. That's the life of someone who is called to step in the gap. It's a shepherd. I told you the truth in love. I I just didn't tell you what you wanted to hear. Parents said, amen. I didn't tickle your ears, but I loved you fiercely. Amen? Amen. And I'm innocent of your blood. Why? Verse 27. Why was he innocent of their blood? Because, verse 27, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. That's what Paul was called to do as an apostle. Paul was innocent of their blood because he gave them the whole will of God. That's what he said. Go and testify to the Gentiles and to the Jews. Go, go do that. That's what I'm calling you to do, Paul. And there's great responsibility for those who are called to shepherd the church. Hebrews 13, 17 says, elders must give an account. I want you to read the rest of that verse because it also says, submit to them. Don't make their job difficult, right? But James 3, 1 says, those who teach will be judged more strictly. He's talking because tongues, you know, leaders have influence, basically. And Paul's confidence was that he led the people in the whole will of God. And and this is, frankly, this is why I've been blessed with the tradition of teaching through the Bible. That's that's why I do it, so that we kind of get the whole will of God. Now, I know you're you're going too slow to get the whole will of God. But the one thing is when you teach expositionally, you're going to the Bible to interpret the Bible. I'm not going anywhere else, hopefully. I mean, you can take poems and things and from different things, but you're going to the Bible, interpret the Bible. When the Bible says something about the Bible, you go to the Bible to... To, to grab the truth out of that, because most likely he's referring to something in the Old Testament. We use the Bible to teach the Bible. And it's amazing. And the reason why I teach book by book as I go through here is because there's a tendency for pastors and myself to be pleasers of men. Pleasers of men. I want you to like me. Don't you know that? There's such a deep desire. Who doesn't want to be liked? And when you're in a position of authority, what sadly is people will tell you anything so that you will maintain power or favorability or whatever it might be. You can see some things that are going on right now in politics or what have you and in the church. But to tell people what they want to hear and to gain favor and to receive the praise of men. That happens in the pulpit. Did you know that? Beware of that. And to leave out the parts of the will of God that we don't like to hear or that are culturally insensitive, it's a great tendency. It's easy to do. You run into a verse and you know things are going on in the church and so you just, oh, let's just skip over that. When the Spirit 
says, no, you hit it and you hit it hard and you keep doing it until it's resolved. And if they don't like you, they don't like you. You're not, it's not about you. It's about me. It's about my word. And obviously, that's why we get the greater judgment because we're responsible of how we communicate that, which is a growing process for crying out loud. But Paul didn't hold back. He loved the Lord too much. And, and, and I just believe that as the word of God is taught, the Holy Spirit He's going to hit all the necessary things that we need to hear. He's just going to hit it. How many times when, when you're listening to the Word of God being taught, Bible study or up here or wherever it might be on the radio, and you're listening and they're just teaching the Word, all of a sudden things in your life start to come into play. And the secrets of your heart begin to be exposed and motives and all this type of stuff starts to happen. That's the Holy Spirit coming in saying, listen, I'm teaching you, I'm guiding you. I have no idea what those things are usually. And God comes in and he just starts weaving how beautifully he does that. And so I just teach through a book of the Bible and God will touch on whatever we need to know as we go and eventually you get the whole will of God, not just what I want to teach on, right? Otherwise we could just be in end times forever or we could, we could be on tithing for 50 weeks right? Or whatever a church emphasis is, right? But the idea is here that he's going to correct, he's going to rebuke, he's going to encourage and build up and strengthen. And, and by the way, I also want to just say real quickly, I think there are absolutely wonderful teachers who teach topically. Do not think that that is, uh, that's a bad thing whatsoever. I'm just saying the tendency of man is to teach on what you want to teach to get what you want to get. And those motives, you don't necessarily know what they are. And so when you just read the Bible, read the Bible. Does Joel Osteen's message match what the Apostle Paul is talking about? Is that how it sounds? Is that how it looks? Is that how it's being communicated? No. Oh, you're a judge. Just read it. And I think it's so important for us as a church to take you to the word and for you to be able to feed upon the word of God itself. Listen, I, I listen to I, awesome men of God and their commentaries and all those things. I mean, we, we, we love those guys. John MacArthur and all these other people, you know. I mean, I, Gary and I were, uh, he, he brought up, uh, you know, that p- people see Acts 20 differently. And, 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 was Paul actually being disobedient, right? Uh, Because you got the Spirit telling him, don't go. And then yet he says, I'm compelled in the Spirit to go. So which is it? Right? And so godly people, let's, uh, you know, on one side will say, no, that's not what it was. He was saying this. And on the other side is saying, no, the other people who I respect on both sides, right? And so I go to commentaries too. Don't don't get me that wrong. And they're great and awesome. But can you open up the word and feed upon it? Can you read and the Lord speak to your heart? Are you able to hear it? And to be able, if you do have those tools in your life, I want to lead you to that. That's what maturity is in scriptures, is discerning the will of God as you read the scripture, being a Berean, reading through it yourself and saying, is that really what it says? Or is that guy pulling wool over, you know, something over my eyes? right? And not in a bad spirit, but we're called to do that. So you 
have the awesome privilege of going to the Word of God and digging in and finding out how to discern the will of God by the Word of God. So, I don't want to say that we can't teach topically or do commentary. That's not it. That's not the heart. But Paul's concern was that the people of God knew what God said. Not what a man said about what God said, but what did God say? And what he required of them. And they understood it, that they understood it and they put it into practice. And he wanted the elders to know that they were responsible for communicating the word of God to the people. In life, we're getting there, and in word. Heavy responsibility, amen? I feel the weight of that on me, right? And so like Paul, hopefully these elders could say at the end of their lives, I declare to you today, church, that I'm innocent of the in- if any of your blood, for I have not hesitated to declare to you the whole counsel of the will of God. What you did with it is what you did with it. But this is my responsibility before the Lord. As, as an elder, Paul is saying. And now Paul has been saying all of this, not to toot his own, own horn, but to remind them of the model he had because he's now going to hand off that torch, right? He's handing off the torch. How he lived and what he taught and modeled was now to be with the elders, how they lived uh, and, and, and taught and how they modeled it. And so Paul addresses the elders in verse 28. He's switching gears. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of God of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That verse is a sermon in itself. I know you're going, what? This is so important. There are a few things in verse 28 that are emphasized here, but the first is that, we're going to take the end of the verse first, is that God establishes authority within the church. God is a God of order. And the way that he sets up the world, its systems, all the way through is authority and submission to authority. Do you know that? Do you believe it? Look at the family. How did he set up the family? The father is the head of the family. The mother and father rule together, co-heirs, over the children. They are to be submitted to them. His, his design for family. Government is not man's idea. It is God's, God's idea. All authority comes from God. Romans chapter 13, read it. I don't want to get in. Yes, good and bad government, all that stuff. We're not getting there. But God established government. Its citizens are to be subject to the government. Praise God, there are rules and regulations. I know there are too many of them, but I'm just saying, praise the Lord for these things because they restrain evil within our culture. The law is for the lawless. I know we say we can't legislate morality. Try to have a culture without legislation. How are you to say to a murderer, murder, you're accountable? To a liar, to a thief, whatever it might be. It doesn't bring out the righteousness of God. That's not the purpose of government. The purpose of government is to have a civil society. It's been supposedly to glorify God within that. But also within the church, elders is God's way of ruling the church. Did you know that? 
And how many of you like the word when I say rule? Let's say it together, rule. Does it make you feel so good? What does that imply? Yeah, that's where we get to the nuts and bolts. How many of you like to be ruled? I like to be ruled by benevolence and kindness and, and you know? But what does that mean? And so he, he sets it up. And we have already read about husbands and wives, right? Wives, submit to your husbands. And he says that one short line for the wives. But what does he say to the husbands? Four, four more verses about dying to yourself, <laughs> right? But he's established this. The Holy Spirit has made them overseers. We're going to get back to the nuts and bolts of that. But the word overseer here in verse 28 is episkopos. And, and this means elder or ruler or overseer. And you might want to, you can probably understand, that's where the Episcopal Church comes from. It means they're an elder-ruled church. That's their form of government. What does this Bible say about pastors? What does that mean, patter, pastors? Uh, it says a bunch. Look at the next part of verse 28. We're skipping around here. Don't worry, I'll pull it together. Verse 28 says that the Holy Spirit has made these men overseers or elders, and then the next thing Paul tells these elders to do is to be shepherds. He says, you are to be shepherds of the church. That word for shepherds is poimen, which is the word for what? Pastor. Pastor means shepherd. And so elders are to be pastors. You're to shepherd. It's an action word. So pastors are elders, and elders are to be pastors. They're shepherds. And the imagery that God gives for the leadership of the church is one of a shepherd over a flock. And so this is when, I, when we're talking about ruling. Let's bring it into context. Shepherd over the flock. What does the shepherd want to do with the sheep? care of them, love them, make sure they're protected, they're fed, shave off all their fur, you know, when they get all messed up. Byron tells, I'm just kidding, Byron tells me a lot of stories about sheep and how dirty they get. We're all sheep. Amen. But that's the image we see over and over in Scripture of leadership within the church, of a shepherd. And God chooses as a picture, as a type within the Old Testament, shepherds to be leaders of people. Why did he do that? Because he's trying to paint a picture. Not to say it's always, but often. You look at Abel. Abel was a shepherd. He brought the lamb as a sacrifice, correct? Not bringing you as a sacrifice, don't worry. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, Amos, just to name a few. And then Psalm 23, who is the great shepherd? Yes, the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. What does he do? He leads. He tends. He feeds. He guides. He protects. He sets a big table in the presence of my enemies. Pretty awesome. So that's the picture that God gives us of a biblical leadership from within the church, that of a shepherd or a pastor. And when Peter was restored, remember Pete, and he got, he got in trouble? He said, I'm going to do all these things, and he didn't do those things. I'll die for you. And he's really bummed out. And Jesus goes after the one who was by himself, like a good shepherd, and goes and grabs a sheep and says, hey. And Peter jumps off the boat. 
you know, the whole story. What does he tell him? He tells him three things. He says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. What does he tell him to do? Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. That word for tend is poimen, is pastor my sheep. It's tend, feed them, be a pastor. Pastor, feed, feed, tend. Emphasis on feeding and then tending. What are we to feed the sheep? Spiritual food for spiritual sheep. And you tend to them. Watch over them. Got to grow in this. So you can see there's a great need for prayer and encouragement for your pastors and elders, amen? Same thing. But that is a picture that God gives us of biblical leadership, that of a shepherd. Feed my sheep the word. So an elder is one who's chosen by God to shepherd the church of God. So an elder, overseer, pastor is God's model for ruling the church. And this is important for us to know. There is authority within the church, but that ruling authority should be one of a servant leader. It should be a servant leader. We should live by example. And it's important to know that those are the two things. Example in service is what uh, an elder is supposed to be doing and modeling for the church. That's how we teach, by example in service. In yes words, there were lots of Bible studies going on. But 1 Peter 5, verse 2 through 4 says, Peter's talking to the, to the group of elders. says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. He's talking to a specific group of guys and they have a specific group of sheep. He's not talking about you to pastor someone else's sheep. He's talking about the local church, local guys. He's saying you, 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 you shepherd God's flock that's under your care, watching over them or watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. He wants you to have that heart. Not pursuing dishonest gain. Your motivation isn't pay because those who labor in the word are doubly honored, correct? So there's an there's a opportunity for greed to, pump, to get in there. But he says, but eager to serve, eager to be slaves. Eager to be slaves, not lording it over as those entrusted to you. Some of you instantly, maybe your boss pops into mind or or me, or someone else, lording it over, right? We don't want to have lording it over, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So there's the eagerness to serve and being examples. And so eldership is to be a servant leadership model. That's why I had on the bulletin, your servant leaders. Your servant leaders, how was that modeled? We, model, we see that with Jesus Christ who takes his disciples and he's sitting there and they're all there. What does he do on the night before he was betrayed? He washes their feet. He says, you go and do likewise. And they were all wondering who was the greatest. The greatest is the one who cleans the toilets, who prepares things for people, gives them the feet. Be the least. Be the servant of all. And that's the heart, that's the mindset. Washing each other's feet, maybe physically, whatever it might be, but laying down your life for them who led them in straight paths by the word of God and in deed. And so elders are chosen by God to lead people of God by example. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. So real quickly, I want to work the nuts and bolts of this real quickly. So if an elder is to be an example, he has to exemplify Christ, correct? Yeah, 
And we see these characteristics, these qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1. Read them for yourself for extra credit. But you have to have the characteristics in order to be an elder. Now, because you have those characteristics, does that make you an elder? No. Because you went to school, does that make you a pastor? No, it does not. Because you know your Bible inside and out and all those things. You have to be called by God. Because who makes the pastor the pastor? Who makes the elder the elder? It says the Holy Spirit. He's the one in charge of distributing gifts. He's the one in charge of telling everybody where they go and how they fit. But how does that practically work out? How does that practically work out? How do you know? Well, we get some examples. There's got to be a desire within an elder. There's got to be desire, 1 Timothy chapter 3, correct? And then those people who have the desire are to be tested. They're to be deacons. They're to be servants. You see, some people just want to be leaders to tell everybody what to do. They don't want to serve. You ever met those people? You're not an elder if that's you. You've got to be tested. And so that means you serve the body of Christ. How do we serve? Whatever capacity the Lord gives you to serve. And as you are tested, the leadership is watching. The Holy Spirit puts it on the hearts of the leaders. This is someone I am raising up for this purpose within my body. And they they begin to become on the radar. There has to be something within their heart. The leadership has to agree with it. I believe the body of Christ has to testify to it. Now you get a carnal church and there are going to be politics and all that stuff going on, and that's dangerous. That's why I joke every year, vote for me, because if you don't vote for me, I'm gone. Does that mean I'm still not a pastor or not an elder? No, God called me to be that. But I think there's, a, there's an agreement, there's a testimony within the body of Christ. There's, there's, there's a unity, and I, th- I think we see this in several different areas, like in choosing deacons. Um, but make no mistake, Uh, The Holy Spirit is to be the one who establishes elders. And as Paul begins to exhort these elders, he lays out several principles for them to accomplish, and we're not going to get to them this morning. But the first here in verse 28, and this is the only one we'll do, is that he says that overseers and elders are to keep watch over yourselves and the flock of God. If you get anything from this morning, this is important to keep watch over yourselves in the flock of God. And this is applicable not just to elders, but to every single one of us. But for an elder to do what God's called them to do, to shepherd the sheep of God, they've got to have their own house in order. They've got to have their own life in order. They've got to have their own walk straightened out before the Lord. Amen? Because when that's a mess, I'm not shepherding very well. My priorities are all messed up. This is a constant thing. That's why it says keep watch. The, the idea of keep watch is keep watching constantly. It's not a, okay, did my watching for the week, we're done. No, you're vigilant. You're looking for wolves. You're looking for temptation, all these things that are going on in your life. And so God calls the elders of the church first to keep watch over ourselves and, it's, and then the church of God. But boy, the first thing spiritual leaders must do before we can even watch over everybody else's souls is to watch over ours own. And, and what does it mean? 
What does that look like to watch? And I'm thinking of two different verses that paint this picture, so just bear with me for a second. The first is 1 Timothy 4, 6, where I think Paul expresses this a little more in depth when he says, watch over your life and your doctrine closely. Watch your actions and your teaching closely. Watch what you believe and what you do. Watch those things closely. He's telling Timothy this. He says, persevere in them because if you do, then you will save both yourselves and your hearers. Do you see the benefit? It flows to others, but it starts within. One of the greatest hindrances of shepherding God's flock is when our own lives are a mess. And when our lives and our doctrine out of whack, even more truly, when our lives don't reflect the doctrine or teachings of Christ, hypocrisy creeps in, man, there's trouble. And biblical leadership is, is simple in theory, but difficult in application. Biblical leadership is to teach the word of God by word and deed. By word and deed. You say it and you live it. Do it and live it. Model what you say. And James says in James chapter 3, not many of you should become teachers because you're going to get the stricter judgment. We all stumble in many ways, he says. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. He's able to keep their whole body in check. I don't know many people like that. That's why he says don't be teachers. Now James is speaking about taming our tongues, but the principle is leaders use words. We use words to communicate and to motivate people and all that type of stuff. And our words are, they have to reflect the actions that we live out. And Paul says to this group of elders, watch over yourselves. The enemy has a target on you. He has a target on your family. He has a target on your health and your kids. And he wants to trip us up and get us sinning. Get our eyes off the Lord. Do you know that? We need your prayer. We need your prayer. And this is precisely what Jesus was Adequately, uh, acutely aware of, of the night before he was betrayed. This is the second verse I was thinking of. So the first is, watch your life and your doctrine. The second, Jesus says in Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And what did they do? They fell asleep. Spiritual leaders must be watching and praying over our own lives and the people we serve. It means we've got to be on high alert. The mindset is that there's an enemy within and without, and he has tactics and a plan for taking us out and then our flock. Do you know that? Jesus told these guys, watch and pray that you would not fall into temptation. James says, in chapter 1, which I've been going over a lot in my own stuff at the Christian Aid Center, but it says, James says that temptation comes when we are drawn away and enticed by our own lusts and desires. That's who you're to blame for temptation is your own stinking, rotten self. The devil made me do it. No, the devil helped you along. But the problem was you wouldn't be attracted to it if it wasn't for your own rotten corpse of a weight that's 
hanging around you, the body of death that we can't wait to get rid of. Amen? They all said amen. That's funny. But the world is the bait, and the devil is the tempter, and the problem is that we have that fallen nature that's attracted to it. And so as spiritual leaders, we need to be men who are watching in our own lives for those baited hooks in various forms, both innocent and vile, that would snare us into sin. And the word of God gives us the truth to live by and prayer empowers us as we are fully dependent upon the spirit, not in our own flesh to have victory, not in our own devices to sustain us, but upon his spirit. When elders are, are not living the word Uh, that we're called to give, there's no light or health in the church. Pray for us. How many times have I said that? How many of you will do it? Challenging you. Pray for your elders. We need it. What happens to a flock? What happens to a family? What happens to a church when the leaders fail to follow Jesus? God is so amazing in his word that he just leaves it things in there that I would be like, Lord, let's just not put that in there about my life and how I acted and what I did. King David, a man after God's own heart, he should have been out to war, but he wasn't at war. He was on top. He was staying at home for some reason. And he stood on top of the roof, and there was Bathsheba taking a bath. And he spent the next nine months in adultery, having a kid, and plotting to murder Uriah, which he did, Bathsheba's wife. And so he went from being a man after God's own heart one day to adultery and to murder the next in nine months it took him. And the Lord, when he came in, in, through Nathan the prophet and he spoke to that king's heart, he broke before God and he wrote Psalm 51. And I want to close with this, the first 13 verses, because this is important. We're talking about self watching over ourselves before we can watch other people. It says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. It's the Holy Spirit. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. And surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the very time my mother conceived me. So there's just a poor in spirit. Do you see it? A reality of the need for the grace and the forgiveness and the power of God in the heart of a leader. Yet you desire faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be cleansed. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Leader realizes his only way forward is by the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. 
Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. When we are sinning, we are out of the will of God. God will crush your bones. Your life will be miserable. Praise God for that happening in your life. And so when he doesn't, that's what should scare you. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. I love that God is the creator. What you don't have, he can create. I don't have a clean heart. I don't have a desire. I don't have these things created within me. And God is merciful, and he will create in us a clean heart because he is merciful. Praise the Lord. He says, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Now we know we don't lose the Holy Spirit. Then they fell upon and went away, like with King Saul. But the Holy Spirit stays with us. But says, don't cast me away from your presence. That's how he felt. I long to be in your presence, Lord. How many of you miss the Lord? We're busy about a bunch of stuff, but he wants to talk to you about some things that you don't want to talk about. So you decide to keep, continue on for nine months, whatever it is. But he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant in me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then, verse 13, underlie it, Line it, what does it say? Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Keep watch over yourselves, then the flock of God. You see that? Make me clean. Get me right back on the path. Then I will be able to teach because I'll be an example and there won't be a block. It'll be flowing through my heart. Pray for your elders. Amen? Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, I want to praise you for your precious word. I know that as I'm reading this this morning, you are teaching, and you are drawing. Be merciful, Lord. Focus us. Focus these elders, Lord. I lift up Gary. I lift up Fred. I lift up Marcus. Myself before your throne and our awesome wives and our families before you. Give us discernment, Lord, over our own affairs and our own priorities that we would shepherd the flock of God that you have bought with your blood. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage any heart that feels the weight of conviction this morning. And they sense this in their own lives, perhaps as a parent or whatever it might be, just, man, Lord, I haven't been keeping watch. And I've got wolves in the pasture. If that's you, take heart that God put King David in here. We have a merciful, merciful, gracious God who creates clean hearts, that makes us pure again, that restores the joy of our salvation, that will protect us and lead us out of the wolf's den, the lion's den. Oh, great and mighty shepherd, we we worship you and we thank you for your, your goodness to us. 
continue to lead us into green pastures by still waters. Restore our souls. Even though we walked in the valley of the shadow of death, we're not going to fear evil because you are with us. You're our shepherd. Jesus, be our example. And bless us under shepherds, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.